Welcome to the second episode in our second series of On The Record. I'm Jason Tebb, Chief Executive of On The Market. And over the course of this season of podcasts, I'll be talking to the innovators and leading figures in our sector to discuss their journey in the industry, their views on prop tech, and their opinions on how adopting new technology can benefit every agent. I'm pleased to welcome an industry legend to the show and probably one of the best known and most respected figures in the new build sector. With 40 years of experience in the advertising and property marketing space, he's founded, built and exited a number of leading marketing agencies in his time. And more recently, rather than sitting on a beach somewhere, he's been tempted back into the business he founded over three decades ago and is now executive chairman of AF Oliver, part of a global group of marketing agencies. So it gives me huge pleasure to welcome Matt Fleming to the show. Hi, Matt. Thank you so much, JT. I could have listened to that all afternoon, actually. Could you just send that out to all of my clients and prospective clients, too? That's great. Indeed. I am available for voiceover work, you know, (laughs) weddings, bar mitzvahs and other things if necessary. (laughs) So how's things with you? Are you busy? Really good and really busy. It's a funny thing. Because the agency, AF Oliver, is so focused on the property vertical, it means that our fortunes tend to move as the market changes. Mm. And for us, the very best sort of market is a transitional one. So when the market's really, really good, the developers don't actually need us that badly. Why do I want to pay you to sell my houses when I'm six months forward sold? When the market's really, really bad, they've got nothing to spend because it's so dreadful. Mm. When the market's in transition, moving from one market to another, that's when they can really lean into us and we can use our expertise to help them take full commercial advantage of that shift. So right now we're busy and I'm crazy busy. I'm loving it. I'm doing the client marketing meetings and planning meetings again, something I haven't done for years and I'm really enjoying that. Great stuff. And we'll come on to what you're doing right now a little bit later, but I'd like to start with If you may, just tell us a bit about your own personal story, I suppose. How did you get into marketing and particularly property marketing? And maybe give us some of the highlights of your illustrious career to date, Matt. Well, I'll make this really brief. It's a crazy story, but true. I got into the advertising business. I used to sell commercial vehicles. I used to sell lorries. Uh, It's true, really. And um, as a sort of 21-year-old with a light grey suit and a big fat tie, I used to float around selling vans and lorries and what have you. And I sold a van to an advertising agency in Bournemouth and they bought this thing to deliver print and that sort of stuff and ended up joining one of their account win parties. I pitched up on a Friday late afternoon near Christmas, pitch black, and discovered a huge party going on in the boardroom. And when the guy that bought the van off me saw I'd arrived, he grabbed a bottle of champagne in one hand and one of his young assistants in the other and said, come on, we're going to take this van for a spin. And by the time the evening had finished, because I obviously stayed on for the party, I was convinced my career should be in advertising and not in selling vans. So it's a sliding doors moment, really was. Wow. And I guess right from the start, I was fascinated by the property market. We used to look after Black Horse, struggling to remember their name, but it was before Black Horse bought out all the local estate agencies. It was the one down in Paul, down there near the town centre. And the guy who I used to deal with in that branch joined Clark Holmes. So this was in the early 80s and he joined Clark Holmes. And when he got there, he rang me up and said, you need to come and talk to us. Our agency is useless. And I did. 
and that was it. And a sort of a, you know, a lifetime in property marketing followed. I loved it. I loved the whole property thing. It For me, JT, the real secret is the fact that every single property is different because of the virtue of the land on which it sits. So if you sell a Ford Escort, it's the same Ford Escort here, there and everywhere. But if you sell a house, it doesn't matter if it's the same house type. It's on a different development with a different street scene in a different locality. And that, I think, that infinite variety is the secret attraction of the property industry. It is for me anyway. And the infinite variety of people that you deal with along the way. And that's the thing I think that brought me into the industry and kept me in within this sector for so long is because, as you're right, every property is different. Every buyer is different. Every seller is therefore also different. And they all have their own personal stories, their motivations to to purchase or indeed to, to sell in the future. I found that element of the business when I was in agency I found the psychology of it fascinating in terms of dealing with various people who are at different times in their in their life and on their own property journey and I think something's very similar about the new build sector particularly as it in some areas particularly on the type of depending on the type of development but attracts those people making that leap for the very first time and in some cases making that leap maybe for the last time and I think that that's part of the attraction of this industry as a whole it's the people you meet along the way that's so true and I'm going to pick up that little theme that you mentioned just right at the start of that because you know you you say it's it's understanding the psychology and getting to know the customer there is absolutely no doubt that the best salespeople that I meet right across the whole sector are the people that understand their prospects their, their potential customers yeah you, they're the ones that make the connection they're the ones that get the traction they're the ones that get the trust they're the ones that do the deals there's no question about that absolutely right moving on to the technicality around property marketing it's a phrase that's used a lot property marketing what does it mean it meant many things a decade ago it means a hundred more things probably now with the rise of the digital revolution but what do you think are the main differences between what I would call conventional residential agency. So me, you know, secondhand resi selling a, a home that's been lived in before. What do you think of the differences between those conventional agency strategies and marketing for specifically new build strategies in your experience? And do you think house builders have embraced this digital marketing revolution I mentioned earlier, or do you think is there still some way to go? It's a fascinating question. And let me start by saying this, that Down the years, I've found some agents are just awesome at selling new build and some just don't get it. Mm. And that isn't predicated on the size of the agent either. It's just a fact. In my view, I think Connell's built a sizable chunk of their organization by being brilliant at selling new build. Mm. And I guess there are a lot of differences. Kick off right at the start with the valuation process. But I think some agencies just understand the mantra of the developer, the rate of sale that's required. I hesitate to use the word aggression, Mm. but that slightly more commercial approach Mm. to getting a sale. The really good uh, new build estate agents understand the pressure that the new build sales director is under. They get it. They get it. They get that they're going to have to work to deadlines. They understand that. They also understand the key enablers that the developers use, part exchange. Uh, Part exchange sounds really simple, Mm. but when I go on my travels around the country, I meet people who are just brilliant at selling the concept of part exchange. And I equally meet people that just don't get it and just don't see it. 
And so that's a factor. It's also for the estate agent to come to terms with, especially in the bigger developers, their use of a direct sales force. Yes. Being able to work with them hand in glove with the direct sales force, making sure no defensive walls go up, keeping lines of communication open. And the agents that really thrive in that sector are the ones that understand that. No question about that. Mm. And in terms of the second half of your question about whether the developers actually are embracing the digital revolution, I think undoubtedly it's a question of some more than others. Mm. Some of them go for just the more obvious solutions, you know, and I line you up there as as portals with a more obvious solution. Yes. A really important part of their marketing effort, but that's a pretty obvious one. But then some go further and they explore options outside the box. Mm. You know, we'll, I'm, I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about AI later, but the use of, of AI is a classic case in point. There's a, one of our clients is a company called Davidson's Homes. They operate up in the South Midlands and they use drone footage. Mm. Which they, so they film the development as it's being built week by week. And then when people come in and they want to see what the site's going to look like, but they can't get on the site and they can see the latest drone footage. And so, okay, not digital necessarily, but technology nevertheless. So some sort of step out of their comfort zone, Mm -hmm. which I love. I love to watch that sort of thing. And some go for, you know, the slightly more obvious options, but they definitely see it's out there. They recognize the potential and they are starting to embrace it. No question. I mean, it reminds me of, I only spent a few years in that particular sector. And I remember even back then, I got this mast, I stuck it in the ground. I got a time delayed camera that shot, I think, 10 shots a day, something like that. And we just left it up there. Wonderful. We had a really nice time delayed still shots that were all merged together of how the site started with literally just nothing there. Hoardings went up, signage went up, and then the groundwork started. And then you could see everything build from first to second phase. And that was a while ago, but it was something that I thought I'd try and see if it worked. And it worked for us, not necessarily from a sales perspective, but from a showcase of what we were doing. I think it was a very nice touch. So I'm sure there's lots of things around that space that are different, innovative, maybe used in other areas, in other sectors and business verticals that can be applied. But do you think clients now demand more in terms of innovation or new ideas from a marketing and media business like yours? I don't think it's a question of more. It's a question of different. And as things currently stand, the digital platforms present a tougher challenge for creative agencies because you are to an extent restricted in your ability to, if you like, design indifference. And at the same time, social media is still a very scary place for many developers. They are terrified of it. It's a fact, isn't it, that building a house is a thankless task. Essentially, you're putting this thing together made up of thousands of different pieces, hundreds of different materials out in all weathers. Things are going to go wrong. Issues happen. Some developers are better than others at at managing that process and managing that feedback, the customer care and so on. But social media today allows a platform for even the most unreasonable buyer. I've been on sites before where buyers have like hung sheets out of windows saying, don't buy on this development. But of course, nowadays, you don't have to make yourself look like a lunatic. You can just go on social media and say it's all dreadful. So the agency has different things to do, not necessarily more things to do, but different, you know, managing that 
uh, managing social media. I think all the developers are still a little bit scared of using influencers as well. And we've yet to see the what I would call the influencer revolution. I've been in marketing meetings before now where I've said, you know, how do you feel about using an influencer? And the faces around the room are a picture. So it's doing things differently. It's avoiding complacency, particularly for the media businesses. Nowadays, we've got programmatic media buying where you essentially sit at the computer and dial in an audience and dial in a location and then let the computer plan how that media is actually going to be acquired, which eyeballs you're going to be buying. And the temptation as well, because back in the day, there was the old thing, was it Henry Ford who said, I know half of the reasons why people buy my cars, I don't know which are. It's something like, of course, nowadays, we know everything about our buyer's journey. And I've equally been at meetings where I have wanted to put pins in my eyes because I am so witlessly bored by this huge churn of data. I watch the sales team's Mm -hmm. eyes glaze over. So we need to avoid using this new technology to drown us in unnecessary information Mm -hmm. and stay good to our principles. But really, it's let's behave differently. Let's do things differently rather than do more stuff. Just picking up on a point that you raised there, do you think that sometimes all of that data, which, as you quite rightly say, there's thousands of layers that can power thinking or decision making, do you think all of that access to information sometimes stifles creativity because it's too reliant on what the data says and therefore you could be missing something very obvious or on the flip side, not being creative enough because you're overly reliant on the data. Do you think there's that risk? 100% I do. And here's the thing, JT, I am convinced. So when I'm shown or given a site, you know, so it, it's, it's got the old red lights flashing, rate of sales falling, stock property, whatever it is, the first thing I want to do is go visit the site. Don't give me 30 spreadsheets on... This was the attribution route for the clicks and all that, you know, okay, that's all important when we get round to the media planning and buying and so on. Mm. But take me there, first of all, let's have a look at what it is we're trying to sell. And let's not just see if we can't find the answers why people aren't buying. And I think we've lost sight of it. It is not all of us, but it it is easy to lose sight of that. The classic site visit It's the hard hats and the protective toe boots, neither of which fit and the big high-vis jacket. you just got to do the thing. you got to do the do. Coming back to marketing, um, you, know, you, you are, you know, your, your clients include some of the largest, in fact, the, uh, you know, the largest um, PLC house, house builders, and you've built up, as you said at the start, relate, these relationships over many, many years. Do you think that the, the changes to the way you know, there is a, a digital revolution in marketing, there's lots of tech advancements that we've been talking about, Do you think that smaller businesses, so SME house builders, have the ability to punch above their weight because of the way technology has changed? I think smaller developers have very quickly realized the power of social media. And if you put the engaging and relevant content on social media, you're going to get as many hits, whether you're Persimmon or whether you are Fred Blogs Builders from Shepton Mallet. So they definitely recognize that. So you do have the opportunity, if you're smart and you're thoughtful, you do have the opportunity to have a fairly powerful voice on what can be a relatively small budget. But you can't escape 
the fact that the portals are a vital part of the media equation. They are what I term the, the property portals of today's equivalent of the property pages. You know, that used to arrive on a Thursday, you get home from work when you get a cup of tea and people used to do this all the time. The value of their biggest asset, their property was a thing of huge import to them. So even though they weren't in the market necessarily, they want to see what that place across the road is on the market for, don't yep. they? And people do that with the portals now. So for the smaller developer with that limited budget, although there is an opportunity out there on social media to perhaps have a more powerful voice than their budget would normally dictate, they still have a slightly more restricted ability to be highly visible on the portals and the portals are really important. Yep. The beauty, of course, is that in their locale, in their location, they can have a strong presence on the portal. It's not that prohibitively expensive that they can't be on there and be on there locally. That's the beauty with the medium, isn't it? Yeah. And they need to make clever use of the products that are available. So wise use of the portals, selective use of what the portal has to offer. And I think that the more thoughtful of the portals recognize the small developer and do their best to make it easier for them to uh, use the medium so i think nowadays on balance i would agree with that back in the day your small builder was never going to be running a full page in the daily mail or the evening standard you know you didn't have six seven eight ten grand to spend on that space but nowadays i think they can have a larger share of voice on a localized basis and certainly they can use social media and so on. So before we move on, I want to play out this little scenario because obviously you have so much experience over decades, seeing different markets, different market cycles up and down. Play out this scenario. You're hired by a house builder and you've never met them before and you don't know much about their business, but you're brought on board and they introduce you to this new scheme that they're building. It doesn't matter where it is, but what's what's the first question or questions that you would ask about the scheme to give you an insight into how to play out the marketing strategy? Well, the first one's always the same. Can I go to site? Can I go to site? Don't, don't ever try and market any site ever. And I've done it, by the way. I've done it. Don't ever try and market any site ever without going there first. I can think of a particular site in Leeds. What a disaster um, where we pitched a load of visuals on this thing with all birds tweeting in the trees and all the rest of it. And a guy said, come here, you. You're coming with me. And he literally not quite dragged me out of the boardroom, but took me out of the boardroom, sat me in his car and drove me to site. And he said, now, these birdies singing in the trees. And there we sat in the middle of this roundabout with four lanes of traffic running around. And I thought, never again. So first question is, can I go to site, please? And then it's, can I have the plans? Tell me about the spec. Show me a schedule of finishes. What's the mix? I want to find the difference. This sounds a bit pretentious, so I apologize for this in advance, but I want to find the site's why. So let's not just stick up the classic identikit boxes. The old volume developers used to be accused of. They're much better now, the volume developers, by the way. I genuinely believe that. But I want to know the why of the site. Every site's different. And then once we've identified the why, we can identify the who and the where. But we don't know who those people are or where those people are until we've really got under the skin of what this is going to be. And that starts off by going there. 
Fascinating. And I think for me, you talk very passionately about you visiting sites. And even though you've done thousands and maybe tens of thousands over the years, people sometimes ask me, do you miss agency? Because obviously I spent 20 years as an estate agent. Do you, do you miss it? And the answer is yes, I do. Up until about only a few years ago, less years than people think, I was still doing valuations. And it's only been a few years since I haven't. And I miss that I miss that meeting of people, the interaction with the with the person. But around the points that you've just made, my question is always, who's the buyer? Yeah, yeah. Whether it's new build or secondhand resi, who's the buyer? Who's the profile of the buyer? What type of person are we trying to attract? And from a secondhand residential point of view, if you're trying to attract the person who you think is going to like the property and be interested in the property, where do you start with that? Will you start with the current owner? Because chances are, if the current owner are a couple and in, they move for a particular reason, they're from a particular age bracket or demographic, chances are you might get a similar demographic who's going to look at to buy it again. If it's a new build, in my experience, it's all about, right, what's the profile of that person or, or that cohort of people? What are they going to be impressed by? What do they need? If it's for a first time buyer or a younger person's buying, they want USB sockets, they want LED lights, they want an EV charger. The older generation maybe not so interested in those things, but they'll want the thicker doors. They'll want the, the wider skirtings because it's similar to the property that they currently own. It's those things. Who's the type of buyer and why would they be impressed with this property? So I think we're on exactly the same page. Definitely, definitely. It's the why and then it's the who. Uh, can I just dip back a little bit as well? You mentioned about missing estate agency, and, and I'm sure you do. But I get the sense, particularly with your hugely successful series of town halls, that you still feel one of the crowd. Am I right there? I mean, no, I do. You, you seem very much at home with that sort of audience. I mean, the town halls, I mean, are very much talked about. So I'm guessing you feel very much at home. Well, thank you. And yeah, I do. It gives me the opportunity. I mean, th th this job is the best job for me in the world because I get the opportunity to talk about estate agency and property and technology and people all day. It, it, all the things that I love, I get the opportunity to meet people who are in that sector, talk about it. I'm never that far from an agency related conversation with the town halls, as you rightly said, with our strategies around our own new products that we're developing for both estate agents and house builders. It's always done with an estate agent hat on. And I still get to talk about it and to the market and changes in the sector. And that certainly keeps my eye in, that's for sure. So yes. I bet it does too. I bet it does. You're listening to On The Record, the On The Market podcast with me, your host, Jason Tebber. My guest this week, Matt Fleming, Executive Director of AF Oliver. We've been chatting about Matt's vast experience in the new build sector and his views on the use of technology in the property industry. Moving on from this, we're going to talk about the future of property marketing and how this is evolving for a new generation of home buyers. Plus, explore what Matt likes to do in his spare time when he gets some. A couple of questions that I wanted to ask before we talk about stuff that you do outside of work. And I really want to get back to the tech piece, the innovations bit, because that's the bit obviously I'm interested in because not only am I passionate about it, but it's primarily how our business evolves is through innovation. What do you think personally are the biggest new innovations coming down the line? And how do you think they'll affect the way property is marketed in the future? I guess the ones you would expect me to say would be AI. You can't really go through a working day 
right now without having a conversation about artificial intelligence. You know, everyone's heard of chat GPT. We've also got Microsoft Bing just arriving now. And it's a fascinating product. In the early days, I used to queue up and wait to get on Mm -hmm. because I just wanted to see what its output was going to look like. And I would be lying if I didn't admit that I use it frequently to prompt me. The hardest thing to look at when you're a creative or a marketer is a blank sheet of paper. Getting that first sentence down is really tricky. So a great way to do that is just to say to ChatGBT, well, how would you manage that? How would you go about that? And see what they say and then get you started and away you go. I think the one thing the industry has to do is to avoid falling into the trap of forgetting that every property is different. You know, it's what we were talking about just now, wasn't it? The classic car thing. Every Ford Escort's the same no matter what. Every property is different. The most important element in a property is the land on which it sits and every bit is different. So I think it's dangerous to start relying on AI because you miss that. And I think that, going back to what you were saying just now about the engagement of a really good estate agent who really understands what's important and what isn't important, who wants to know about the audience and, and what's going to be required to get them to engage. You're not going to do that with AI. No. You know? So I think we need to use it properly. I had a couple of guys come in from a prop tech firm. Whenever I get an invitation to look at new innovative prop tech products, I always accept them. I don't want to miss anything. Mm. And, you know, the classic CGI now has come of age. Some of these are beautifully crafted. And the collection of data at the point of exchange with a potential buyer is another really important part of PropTech. Without the buyer necessarily knowing that what you're doing is collecting data. Obviously, you have to tick all the boxes legally. We all know about data protection. But if you take a purchaser through a CGI of a development and you ask them as they're going, so would you like to come and have a look at this two bed? And you do the fly through and you take them there. All the time they're doing this, all their preferences are getting logged. When you talk about, well, that one is 350000 Is that your price? No, no, I'm thinking this price. So their price. Mm-hmm. So all of this data, you're collecting it beautifully on the fly without sitting them down saying, right, answer this question. Now, I love that. I found that a really elegant part of this new innovative system and the transfer of that data into a really good CRM package. I know there are loads of CRM packages out there. And I think one of the problems that the average estate agent faces with PropTech is there are lots of different bits and pieces out there and getting these things to communicate And particularly if you're a bigger multiple agent, you know, you have to do battle generally with your IT department. Indeed. Who are the modern day commercial terrorists. (laughs) You know, this is a system and nobody shall infiltrate. So, So it can be tricky to innovate when you've got to fight your own IT department too. But there's some really exciting stuff out there. And if I had a word of advice to agents generally is save yourself time to always have a look at stuff that people want to show you and demonstrate. For the estate agents out there, some fabulous prop tech around. Make time to see what's out, see what's about, see what would suit. Uh, You know, uh, I think that's really important. It's an exciting time for us. Part of my job is to constantly evaluate 
what's new, what's coming along down the line. Um, there is a lot of property technology out there, prop tech as it's called, that tries to solve problems that don't exist. But there is so much stuff that, that's coming down the line, usually honing things that are already good or there's already a solution for, but making it better. Your example, the AI piece, you know, I'm just thinking about how is that applied in a new build or conventional resi way? Well, I've already seen examples of area or location information being created by AI, property details being written by AI, not necessarily completed, but just the basis of the script that then it can be honed and changed. I've seen too the innovations coming from drone technology, from flybys, from the advanced cameras, which now well, you can even get them on your phone now, which have much, much more enhanced metrics in terms of understanding heights and widths and sizes and lots of LIDAR, as it's called, lots of really advanced stuff around sizing and spatial technology. I saw a bit of kit a few weeks ago where you can have a look at interactive CGI of a property and then see where the sun would be at various times of the day. Nice. So you can see if the sun comes into your lounge, comes into your kitchen. I think that there's so much around that presentation piece, particularly for new build, I think when my own experience, you have a, a marketing unit at, at the beginning of the site, or you have a show home or two, maybe one for each of the unit types. But not everyone, particularly the smaller developers, has the opportunity to be able to build in that way or necessarily have a show home for each of those unit types. So that's where CGI and other assisted virtual reality comes in. I just think that is a fascinating area for the future. I do too. And you're limited by your imagination, that's all. And your budget, sorry, as well. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah, that is very true. I wanted to talk a little bit about, because I've noticed this, we speak to hundreds of our developer clients and over the course of a year, you know, we, we have well over 2000 developments listed now on our site and we get to speak and get feedback from a number of them about things that might be coming or things they indeed would like to see on our website. One of the things that I've picked up on recently, the theme has been getting louder and louder is the younger generation and their views on how important environmental factors are in choosing a property. Are you seeing that as well? Do you think the developers are reacting to that in terms of either putting in you know, eco features in inverted commas or indeed at build stage, pre-build stage, building that in mind with their site mix? Yeah, we've been seeing it for quite a long time, but, but there's been a marked change in that. It, we, we did a lot of research on this about five years ago. And that research suggested to us that people wanted it and they thought it was the right thing to do, but they didn't necessarily want mm. to pay for it. And it was an extraordinary thing where, yes, I do want you to be green and I do want my new home to be sustainable, but don't charge me more than the guy that isn't sustainable next door. And it was a challenge. And I think that that is slowly changing. I think the developers have, uh, to a certain extent, they've been forced into it. Things like nutrient neutrality, which is, I'm sure you know, the talk of the industry at the moment mm. and, and, uh, and a real obstacle, real problem for the developers with getting planning permissions. Mm. But things like SUDS, sustainable urban drainage systems. So making the management of water on a site 
a huge bonus rather than a problem. So you drive onto some of these sites now and it looks stunning. You've got water features mm. that look, you know, that they've been put there in the planning of this to make it look magnificent. But actually, they're managing the water attenuation. That grey water recycling, greener energy systems with heat pumps and so on. You know, we're seeing all of this, quite aside from insulation. And, you know, the HBF, I think, are doing a pretty good job in promoting how much money you can save by buying new against secondhand and so on and so forth. So I I think the developers absolutely recognise the value in it. I think that the purchaser is starting to accept there is a price to be paid for this. But with energy prices the way they've been, you know, if you can save three or four grand a year on your energy bills, if you live in, say, a 1,500 square foot four-bed house, you know, a reasonable size four-bed house, well, then that's a massive incentive. Forget sticking an extra percentage point on your mortgage rate. You'll sweep that away with the money you're going to save in energy costs. So, yeah, it's definitely a thing, JT, to answer your question. It's been a thing for quite a time. But I think that the big change that we've seen, particularly in the last 12 months with inflation being the way it is, that people are now saying, yeah, I'm going to have to invest in a bit of that, a bit of my own money. I'm going to have to pay a bit more to get that sustainability that I want in my new home. It's an investment for their own future. It's an investment for the future of their families as well, and obviously for the planet as a whole. And I think that that is changing too. Late last year, we introduced a green search feature on our site so people can search for eco-friendly homes and it essentially tracks things like solar panels, air source heat pumps and other uh, green features and it will feature them on the listings so that people can see and those certainly the numbers of people who are searching for those types of search terms is definitely increasing and growing as is the awareness of the EPC rating. Yes yes that's a great point yeah you know i've seen a big change in this over the last year for about 6 months we were asking all the consumers who visited our site you know how important is the epc rating and we had quite a few respondents even this this is only you know a year 18 months ago quite a few responses i don't under, i don't know what an epc is which is absolutely fine because unless you're in the industry and have to produce them or present them then you wouldn't know and that's changed quite dramatically and now there is a real awareness of the energy efficiency of of a home and it and it's I'm sure not long until some mortgages having preferential rates for very good EPC ratings. I don't think it'll be long before that will be the norm. No, you make a really good point. And one that I'd forgotten that that that, it, that is very definitely a thing. And it is very definitely a, a selling point. If you're up in the A's and the B's on your EPC, then yeah, 100% agree with that. In the last few minutes we have, I wanted to ask a few questions about what you like doing when you're not working. Obviously, you're you're super busy, as you've said, but um, in those times you get to yourself or with your or family, what are your passions, what are you passionate about, what are your hobbies and interests? Family, obviously, always number one. Of course. Just in case they're... Just in case they're listening, yeah. <laughs> no, seriously, family. Um, the three big ones, are football, which is a huge part of my life, What's your team, Matt? Uh, it's Crystal Palace. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that, yeah. <laughs> Thanks. It's a very stressful existence being a Palace fan. So the football thing is a big thing. And then my dog, who is a huge... Uh, Crystal Palace fan? He is a Crystal. He's got Crystal Palace collar and he's got a Crystal Palace lead as well. And I also do play golf, although I haven't played for a couple of years because I've been sorting my knee out but I've got a new knee I'm bionic now JT you'll be pleased to know and I've got a new knee 
and soon I will be leaping around like the proverbial spring lamb and hope to get back on the golf course within the next couple of weeks or so. Fantastic. The downside of going in for surgery and getting a new knee is that that, that excuse now doesn't apply anymore. No. So you can't, you can't say, oh, I only, the only reason I missed that path or I only drove 130 <laughs> yards is because of my knee. That's gone. I think there's still a bit of mileage in that yet. I think I could get away with saying, it's the new knee. It's the new knee. Still don't quite trust it yet. If I hear you using that in two years' time, I'm going to say something. Yeah, then I'm in trouble. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. We're sadly coming to the end of the show, but we're going to share the links to all the things we talked about today, such as your bio and links to AF Oliver in the show notes if you want to find out more. If you're listening, don't forget you can keep up to date with our next episodes by following us at onthemarket.com. On Twitter, you can follow us on all other social channels too, LinkedIn, Instagram, and our new TikTok channel, or search for On The Record in your podcast app and hit the follow button. But just remains for me to say thank you once more again to Matt Fleming. It was an absolute pleasure, and thanks so much. Awesome. I'll be back again next month. See you. <laughs>